Michigan Rise Pre-Seed Fund 3 is proud to be a sponsor of Michigan Venture Capital Association's podcast series, Michigan VC Talk. Michigan Rise was founded in 2020 with support from the Michigan State University Foundation and the Michigan Economic Development Corporation to invest in early stage high-tech startups. This funding enables Michigan tech companies with high growth potential to meet near-term milestones and raise downstream funding for future growth. Michigan Rise partners with MVCA members focused on the earliest stages of commercialization to identify and support high potential technology startups across Michigan with capital, mentoring, assistance with grant funding, and more. To learn more about Michigan Rise, visit www.michiganrise.com. Welcome to Michigan VC Talk. My name is Ara Tapuzian, and I'm the Executive Director of Michigan Venture Capital Association. My guest today is Jeff Ponders. He's part of the Invest Detroit Ventures team, and his role is to work closely with their portfolio company founders and help them scale toward major growth milestones. Real interesting talking to Jeff because Jeff not only has a tech entrepreneurial background, but he's also a musician. So we're going to talk about how both of those have played an important role in his career and his life. Join me and listen to my conversation with Jeff Ponders. Hey, Jeff, this is awesome to talk to you. I've, I've been wanting to talk to you on uh, Michigan VC Talk for a while. So thanks for joining me today. And it's a pleasure to be here. Ara. Thank you. So you've got, you know, I, I know I probably start this out like this on, on uh, when I talk to other guests, but you do truly have an interesting and unique uh, background. And we're going to try and cover a lot of it today. Um, entrepreneur, uh, work in the tech uh, fields, musician, keynote speaker, all this kind of wonderful stuff. So you got both like left and right brain going. So that's why, uh, and when I first met you and we started chatting, it was in a virtual environment. I'm like, oh, I already knew I'm going to like this guy. So <laughs> I'm excited uh, to really chat with you. We're going to jump right in. Cool. And Jeff, I, you know, your, your background, let's, let's talk about that. I mean, you, you told me offline, you're kind of an entrepreneur your entire life, but g give yeah. our viewers, our, our listeners really, uh, an idea of what your background is like. Sure. Uh, I'll give you the really brief Batman yeah. story. Um, <laughs> so grew up obsessed with entrepreneurship. Uh, going back to my first business, which was a hot dog and Kool-Aid stand. And I was like five years old, but I employed the older neighborhood kids. Um, and so I, the bug hit me then. And it, I really come from a family of entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. So, you know, growing up and seeing folks build small businesses and some businesses becoming a little bit bigger, um, I knew I wanted to figure out how to turn ideas into value exchange. And I didn't have that language then, but that was really what it was. How do we take these things that, you know, come out of our brains and then turn them into real things and people right. want to get money for them. And then subsequently people want to work for, you know, work for these enterprises. That's fascinating to me. So, um, but I also loved music. And yeah. so coming out of high school, I was like, man, I've got to figure out how to, the story was, I want to be a full-time jazz musician, but I don't want to be broke. Um, right. 
we we share that same commonality with music. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, and you know, at the time, I didn't realize where where the money re- really resides resides within music. But it's like, okay, if I'm going to be a musician and play what I love to play, and not be broke, living in some you know some hole hole, hole in the wall apartment in New York, I need to go make three billion dollars. Um, and so I right. uh, you know I love business also, and I wanted to in addition to music, I wanted to continue to figure out how to build companies. So end up going to the Wharton School because I figured if I'm going to go and get sharp at business, yeah, where they manufacture business people. So did that, realized I did not want to go to Wall Street um, and lose lose my hair earlier than I did. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, ultimately um, came back to Detroit for some really interesting opportunities in entrepreneurship and in music. Um, ended up falling into digital marketing at the, you know, in the early 2000s. And so really being at the cutting edge of a lot of you know, emerging tech, well, what now is standard technology, but emerging at that point. So um, into early stages of social media, early with mobile um, and app development. And so got a, got a chance to figure out how to influence people and create really cool customer experiences along that while also walking a binary path as a professional musician and figuring out how to tour and navigate full-time jobs. Yeah. Crazy. So we share, we definitely share a lot of that. Uh, and I'm sure you've heard on, on probably more than one occasion, someone will say to you, um, so are you a full-time musician? Like you're making a living doing that. And then you, you end up telling them, well, you know, I do it. It's my, it's my passion, but then I also do this. Yeah. And, and that sometimes, um, especially with the, um, internet, it gets blurred. Uh, I think people sometimes flip out when they go, so you play music? Like, wow, that's really kind of cool. It's really different. And so, yeah, I can definitely identify. I can also identify with the hair loss. (laughs) You've held on much better than I have. No, no, no. I just, I just didn't shave it all off. It's getting there. It's, but it's, it's fine where it is. It keeps part of the head warm. So, I mean, it, you know, it does. (laughs) I can promise you that your hairline is is further North than mine is. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, yeah, let's, let's see how long that stays with me. So, so Jeff, talk a little bit about like early on. So some of these companies that you helped form, can you, can you give us some examples of like what you, what you founded? Sure, sure, sure. So, uh, so through, throughout the 2000s, a lot of consultancy uh, supported some early stage startups out of Philadelphia. Um, and then one of my mentors happened to get into the VC space. And I started understanding, you know, really getting more engaged in the technology space in a different way. Yeah. Uh, and so my first tech-based platform was, was called the Cookie App. Um, and so we launched that back in 2013. Uh, we were part of... So, you're in the Michigan ecosystem, so you're probably familiar with Bizdom. Yep. Um, and so we got we got into Bizdom when it finally kind of hit the more traditional accelerator model. Uh, so we, we were in the spring 2013 class of class of Bizdom. Um, and so our platform was really you know, the, the simplest way to think about it is a digital fortune cookie, which which really designed for customer acquisition for brands, um, but also a whole lot of fun. And we took the novelty of a fortune cookie and turned it into a smart device. Awesome. And so really cool, we ended up actually a crazy ride. So I was able to take some of the marketing background and we got some really cool partnerships with some agencies, got some pretty big brands engaged too. So like Hulu and Amazon became partners of ours. And we ended up, you know, ultimately getting stuck in the chicken and the egg scenario of, hey, we need more users, users want more, more prizes and, and content. And this guy had a mortgage and a baby on the way. <laughs> yeah, so, that's a good driving force for sure. Oh man, so 
the next next one we ended up uh, so while doing that also still kind of got to work and support with some some other startups in the ecosystem so had a good time with some of the guys over at up to and so this right. became actually really close with a lot of the folks over at dpp um next one we did was called fido and actually just quick quick caveat so cookie app i was a solo founder yeah and a, and a non-technical solo founder and mm. so was a fascinating, painful experience, painful in terms of spin to get product developed, um, but learned a, a lot of things. And so I, I really, that experience helped me to really dive deeper into lean methodology uh, and how can we validate ideas before going and doing full builds. So um, moving forward, ended up doing a company called Fido. And Fi so I'm, I'm married with three kids, um, one kid at that time, um, one going on two kids. And I realized I sucked at date night. Um, <laughs> And I also found out that a whole lot of my friends did too. And so right. we were building an engine to help keep guys out the doghouse effectively. Ah, uh, okay. I've been wondering, wondering where you're leading up to how, where did Fido come from? Yeah. Perfect. Keep guys out the doghouse um, and helping us not forget big moments, but also, you know, helping us to be a bit more savvy with how we plan date experiences. Right. Um, we did that to the point we realized that guys just don't care enough. And we'll, we'll, we'll just suffer until we get in trouble and then we'll try to fix it. And then the cycle continues. Right. Um, did that, um, exploring a couple other ideas until roughly 20, actually 2020, uh, I've been doing some EII work with tech town, uh, shout out to right. tech town and with a buddy of mine, Dave Weber, um, who's had a great, great experience. He's an awesome dude. Um, we realized and we both have a bunch of kids at this point. Um, and, realized that our kids like to watch streaming activities or streaming content, but we also wanted to make sure that they were consistently growing. So we started looking at how can we turn vitamins into, into aspirin and how can we turn oh. streaming content into interactive educational content yeah. where kids are learning and they don't even know it. Um, or they yeah. do know it, they just don't care because it's fun. Um, right. And so we started building a team for that. Actually, we built a, a great team for that. Started early, early stages of building product. And then somebody knocked on my door um, called Invest Detroit. And it was like, oh. <laughs> well, you've got, I mean, you've got a lot of things going on at once. I mean, also right before Invest Detroit too, uh, I mean, you're working with uh, the relatively newer angel group, Community sure. Angels. Right. Um, and that's an important, that's oh, an important man. group. Very important I, group. Man, I, it feels good to hear, to, to hear us reference as an important group. Yeah. You know, we think we're pretty cool. Um, but you know, just, you know, thinking about things that I've been a part of starting. So we, start, we launched community angels publicly in 2020, we started working on it very, very di directly in 2019, but the conversation for the conversation around angel investing and diversity, not just within founders, but also diversity with amongst investors, right. um, the founders, you know, the five of us had been having conversations in pockets of twos and threes for probably about four or five years. Right. Uh, Actually, yeah, about four or five years at that point. Um, but from our experiences, Terrence as an attorney, mine as a founder, um, Dawn as a financier, um, Marlo yep. as all the things she's been doing in the ecosystem and so on and so forth. So, um, you know, we, we launched that in 2020 with the intent of really, you know, finding ways to introduce the, the instrument and the asset class of Angel to more folks, but also, um, and, so, and I say that, I reference that just with regard to diversity and not just with, with hues and ethnicity, but really about 
how do we help folks who didn't recognize they can invest in the next Uber or next Facebook right. actually get into the game? Because, um, you know, it's sexy to look at tech companies when they go public um, and we see how much money people have made, but a lot of folks just don't know how to, how to actually access those opportunities. So we've yeah. taken a really deliberate approach to um, one, introducing new, new investors to the asset class, but two, um, given that many of us are based in Michigan, helping introduce new opportunities to Michigan investors. So diversity amongst you know, investors, diversity certainly within founders, but also diversity of opportunity um, for investors you know, throughout, throughout the uh, category. So we should, re- let's jump into the diversity a little bit. Um, you know, I wanted to talk about some other things. Like I said, we, you and I could probably talk for a very long time and we don't, <laughs> we don't have all that much time, but I definitely want to cover some important topics and, and let's stick with diversity a bit. Um, you know, we have seen um, the, the Michigan community recognize uh, maybe at a greater extent um, diversity in, in general, you know, uh, DE&I, um, and, and just kind of, kind of thinking a little bit differently than what has been the norm. Right. And, and we know that in, in Michigan and in the VC space and the angel space, you know, diversity we've, I think MVC has always taken a look at diversity and, and reported on it, but there definitely needs to be more work you know, that's going on. And I've talked about before that, you know, we've created a DEI committee that's looking at how do we really ingrain diversity into our everyday lives in, yeah. in both the VC and in the entrepreneurial space so that it's second nature, right? So that we're not, have, you know, it should already be top of mind and we shouldn't have to like call things out kind of separately and, and whatnot. But what I wanted to talk to you about is is I, I think one of the one of the big areas is really our networks, right? And I think you get that too, also as a musician. That you know <laughs> you've and, and a jazz artist. Want to throw that in there too? So again, we have a little bit more. I don't play jazz, but my music kind of coincides a bit with the style and and so forth of what you do. But you understand the power of your network. Yes, and having a diverse network. Give me your, your philosophy on what that needs, what people need to be uh, looking at when they talk, when they look at their networks. Man, there's, I know that's right. a, that's there's an a hour topic right there. Yeah. Give I, me I the feel shorter like this is an unfair question. So this is completely unfair, but it's a really good question. Um, so I want to, I'm going to kind of back into this unique way. So there's a professor at the university of Michigan, Ross school, Jeff DeGraff. He's, He's an amazing innovation professor. Uh, they, in fact, they, he's been deemed the Dean of Innovation. Um, okay. And so he's written multiple books and is you know, really well, well-renowned uh, thought leader in the space. And so he talked about innovation as when we intentionally br- bring disparate ideas together. Mm-hmm. And we, we look for the collisions that happen. Those collisions, those collisions cr- create opportunities that we, did, we otherwise would not have seen. Right. And so... Well, that's true for innovation. I think that same, th- that same concept is really a concept of diversity. It is, can we bring things together on purpose for the sake of just seeing what better can happen? Right. Um, and so that absolutely works with our networks. And I, you said something really powerful here, and that is, you know, with MVCA, it's not just about, you know, in our workplaces with founders. You talk about how can we incorporate it into our, into our lives. 
And I'm a firm believer that you know, work is a part of our life. It's not we work to live or we work, we, we don't work to live. Um, and we certainly don't live to work, but it's really about we have a life and work is a part of that life. Right. Um, and so who we are at home, whether we like it or not, is going to show up at, as who we are at work. Sure. Um, and so as we think about our networks, it really is about, it's not about the professional network. It's about who are the people that I am proactively engaging and in introducing to my world. Um, and man, I, did, oh, I just had to do a report on this a couple, a couple months ago. Um, but there's, there's some data on sameness and um, I think it's called the sameness quandary. And I think, you know, when we look at our, our, our top five or top six people, um, generally speaking, the top five or six people that, that are close to you are gonna be very, very similar to you. Sure. Whether it is, again, ethnicity, gender, um, or maybe we all think the same way. And it's not true for everybody, um, right. but it's really easy to fall into the safety of sameness. Uh, it's comfortable, I know what to expect. Um, we laugh at the same things, we like the same foods, we can go to the same places, everybody's gonna have a good time. We're not worried about, oh, somebody's gonna throw out some crazy idea and now, doggone it, there's them. We need the thems with the crazy ideas to stretch us beyond our comfort zones. And so for our networks, the question is how are we actively engaging people who don't naturally fall within our box? Yeah, I think that's really important, Jeff, because I know I'd like to think I don't fall into that sameness. Um, and it's because of the background that I have. And it's, you know, as far as a career goes, you know, I've spent it in the association uh, industry and economic development. And you you cannot do that job effectively if you're going to have this closed network of, to your point, sameness. And, you know, again, we keep referring to, to, to music and being musicians as well, but, you know, there's no way uh, as musicians, we're going to get gigs from the same four or five people. Right. That's just never going to, I mean, maybe, maybe for, you know, um, <laughs> international stars, I guess that's possible. But, you know, if we're looking to, to hustle to play, right, we need to always expand it. So it's, it's right. really Absolutely. interesting, you know, that you, you say that translate that into now let's talk a little bit about Invest Detroit. So you, you, sure. you're fairly new at Invest Detroit, um, well known for their, I mean, I think diverse, portfolio, their work, uh, activism in the DEI space. Talk a little bit how that all fits in, kind of what you're doing at Invest Detroit. Man, you're absolutely right. And that's, oddly enough, it's one of the things that really drew me into IDV. Um, so Invest Detroit to me, you know, there, we have, there are a lot of amazing investors in Michigan. Um, I'm so for them, I'm very happy. I was, I'm very fortunate to have landed here. Um, yeah, absolutely fortunate. And one of the things I, I admired just look, you know, before, get, before like I've, I've known much of the team prior to, prior to coming. Right. Um, and one of the things that was amazing, you know, when you look at most companies, there, there is a, there's a certain, you know, there's a look, there's a look, there's a certain person who works there, uh, certain industries, example, in our industry, you know, 85%. There is legitimately a majority. Right. Um, and when I looked at the team, both Invest Detroit Ventures, so IDV, but also the parent company, we're literally a gumbo. Like there is, and when you look at 
our seven person team on you know, with the with the venture team. Yeah. You've got the United Nations, if you will. You have an incredibly diverse group of people. And again, not just race and ethnicity, just different backgrounds, different experiences. Yeah. You know, we we are generation uh, generationally diverse. Like we are legitimately a diverse. Yeah. Group oh, I would I would definitely agree. And and so because we are subsequently the work that we do is reflective of that too. Yeah. We embody what we what we bring to market, which is we want to find great opportunities. We want to empower great people to do great things. And it starts by having a great team of people with diverse interests. And subsequently, you know, we can lean on our different expertise to validate ideas to vet founders and so on and so forth. And it works out amazingly well. Um, you look at Patty with her background in life sciences and all, and you know, if you take it back to the beginning of her career, her work as a developer, um, right. Martin's work. Um, within engineering, but also in the general ecosystem side, you look at a Didi and she's an amazing data scientist. Timber is the nicest person in the world. And that's, <laughs> and I don't, I don't say that she's also really, really sharp at building communities. Um, like you have a crazy diverse background of experiences with our yeah. team. And so when you look at our portfolio and the hundred, I want to say 109 active companies right now, um, you know, we actually have a team that, that it can make sense to do that across all these different categories because we're here to support Michigan because we actually, we can live it and we can walk and talk it. Yeah, um, definitely, so definitely. That, that being the case, um, you know, when I lent, me coming to Invest Detroit was to, you know, we practically doubled our port, the size of our portfolio during 2020 um, at a time when, you know, things were absolutely crazy for everybody. Right. Um, you know, we took it up, we took, we really look to take a position of leadership and say, how can we continue to support Michigan entrepreneurs through one of the most challenging, unpredictable times that we've ever seen. Um, and so going from a 40, 50 person, a 50 company portfolio to over hundred, yeah. we needed some help. And, right. you know, where, while at, you know, as an EIR at tech town, I want to say, I, I, I think I supported over 500 companies over a three year period of time. Terrific. Which is yeah. terrific. That's exciting, ball. right? I mean, yeah. Oh, that's, that's, I mean, I, I love it. I, I, I love working with entrepreneurs. I love working with early yeah. And so between that, the work with Commune, um, being a founder, um, it made sense to come in and say, how can we help support our founders and get them to their next milestones? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, as a principal in portfolio success, my role is really focused on how do we cultivate our portfolio and get to better outcomes um, how do we help those folks who are struggling overcome some of those challenges? Mm -hmm. How do we help, help folks who are doing great? How do we help them find, you know, really make that next round the, the best round? Um, right. And so it's a lot, but yeah, but it's all, it's it's an amazing challenge. But you're smiling through all of this conversation. So I mean, oh, I, it it totally you you can see it. that you know you're to your point from earlier that you know you're not just working to live. I mean, it's, it's really part of your DNA. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I want to talk about the entrepreneur entrepreneurs. So you, you just said that um, with tech town at Wayne state university, you, you coached uh, a number of these different startups and um, you know what, you know, what questions coming. I, I want to get some advice from you <laughs> as far as uh, let's, let's give, give me the top three things entrepreneurs should know Woo, in general wow. and not necessarily, you know, okay. uh, getting them ready for, 
you know, potential uh, venture funding, but yeah. what, what are the top three things do you think an entrepreneur needs to know or a startup? Man, first of all, this question is not fair as well. I know. It's like unfair Life's question not fair. <laughs> you know what? That, that would be, a, that's actually a good one. Life's Life not fair. fair. Life's yeah. not fair. Well, that, uh, you can't include that. That was mine. So now you're nope, still going to. I'm, take, I'm taking you're it. taking it? Okay. So it's th- things, and when you're raising money, things aren't fair. You're right. not guaranteed or promised anything. In fact, the odds are, as a founder, you're not going to raise money. You're not going to raise institutional money. You might, and I, I pray to God that you do. Right. But the odds are that most people don't. So they, they need to be prepared for what? No. <laughs> right. <laughs> be prepared for no. And no doesn't mean that, you, that, that you're not a good entrepreneur. It doesn't mean that your company sucks. It doesn't mean that your idea sucks. Though I do tell folks, I, I literally tell people, I say every idea sucks. The question is, it's all, all the powers in the execution. I, <laughs> there's no such thing as a million dollar idea. There's right. a million dollar execution. There's billion dollar execution. Right. Uh, so odds are as founders are going to be told no. And yeah. so when you're in raising money, because you, if you can take the approach that I, 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 when you, when you go say, I'm going to raise money, you believe you have a good thing. Great. Right. Be confident, but come, don't come from a place of entitlement. Like, of course you're going to give me, no, no, no. Right. Unless you have a rich uncle who has an unlimited bank, bank account. No, it's not, that's right. not how it works. You got to put in the work. And you have to know the work that you have to put in in order to position yourself to be investable. Um, and even when, in being potentially investable, you're going to talk to investors who won't invest in you. You're going to say, I fit, I fit the thesis where the, we are, we've got the right traction points and they're going to tell you no. And that doesn't mean it's the end of the road, but you have to be prepared for what happens when the no's that you get are, you know, what happens when the no's are because you're not ready. What happens when the no's are because you're not a good fit. What happens when the no's are, random and you can't even explain it do you have the fortitude do you have the metal to continue to push forward and be able to find a way forward like ultimately i I tell my ceo founders i say your job as a ceo your number one job is to make sure that the company has the resources it needs to move forward okay that's it that is revenue it is it's a revenue and sales it is the the right team it is the right materials it is the right investors and funding um it's being in the right market we have the right you, your job is to make sure they have the right resources to move forward. And so when you're told no, what are you going to do to make sure you have the resources you need to move right. forward? And part of it is also recognizing sometimes we, the entrepreneurs is to tell themselves no more. Correct. Correct. Uh-huh. So we got one, which is, you know, prepare yourself for, for the negativity of it. So yep. get ready for rede- rejection. Right. You know, that's one, but you said All the right. second one as well. But to kind of define yeah. it more, it's like to be able to pitch what oh, you're man. doing, right? And that's, it's not, and it's not just pitch, like, let me pitch my deck. It's to sell. Right. So, right. you know, I, I mentioned earlier, like as a kid, and this is true, this is part of who I am. I'm obsessed with how we take the thing that's up here and turn it into a real thing out there. Um, and so you've got to be able to sell the idea first to a team of people who's going to support you and join you on this crazy journey that you're not going to be, you can't guarantee they're going to get paid. You can't guarantee that they're going to keep their lights on at home. Like you can't promise them anything other than we're going to try. Right. So can you sell a team? Two, can you, can you sell investors and partners who are going to help supply the resources to get the thing done? And often those things happen before you even have a product to sell. And now can I sell customers to actually buy the thing to validate that this idea we had that I put the team together and had the investors back was right. actually a good thing to do. 
you got to be able to sell at all those levels. Or if you can't, if people can't, you got to recognize your limitations and say, let me find somebody who can, who can join on the journey. Is there one more you would add to this advice? Yes. Yep. And it's actually, it's actually a good, it's a good closing point. Um, managing and navigating relationships. And in particular, following up. Um, all those no, like we talked about the no's. Yeah. Just because somebody says no doesn't mean they're not going to help. And so being able to navigate relationships, again, across team, partners, investors, customers, government, um, like, oh, let's not even forget family, yeah. right? Um, navigating and managing those relationships and making sure you follow up and follow through. Yeah, um, is that's king, really right? Isn't underrated. that the old phrase, follow up is, is king? I mean, I think we've all yeah. heard that growing up. I mean, you, you, you need to make that first impression. And if you can't follow up, I mean, that's, you know, bad news overall. Yeah, you could have had an amazing meeting and they're like, oh man, this is great. Send me your deck or send me your data room or yeah, blah, blah, blah. and you don't do it. And all that great work you did. Waste. Out the window. So. Yeah. So these, follow, I mean, we could up. talk, you know, more about some of that stuff. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I, I think those are great three uh, pieces of advice that entrepreneurs need to really understand. And, you know, we can't really say it enough to them. Now I want to switch over, uh, you know, in our remaining time, I want to talk about some fun stuff. Not that this wasn't fun, but I really want to get to um, music uh, a bit with you because, um, you know, as I went through your personal website too, I mean, you've, you've played a lot, you've had a lot of uh, different opportunities. Um, You've done TEDx, you've done other kind of keynotes. I mean, this is, this is, as you said earlier, sort of ingrained into your, your life. So let's talk about, so you're a jazz artist. Yep. And, and talk about the music that you play and, and, and talk a little bit about, you know, some of the, the gigs you're doing or what, you know, and what you enjoy about it. So let's, we're going to go back to the word diversity. Yeah. Um, while jazz is my favorite language to speak, um, it's funny. What kind of jazz? All of it. All of it. All okay. of it. I mean, diversity is really the kind of is really the the word for me with music. I I play everything. I love it all, whether it's jazz and classical or it's funny. We, we also we all we, like we call jazz often BAM um, or classical American music. Um, so, but I also play top forty and pop and gospel. Um, and, you know, it's, it's funny, I'm, this, this, is, this is not a story for today, but it, like play with a ton of folks out there, um, yeah. you know, from folks you've never seen and heard of locally to Kanye West and John Legend. Um, and wow. so just for me, it's, I love, music is a wonderful language, it's a wonderful form of self-expression. Um, you know, the opportunity in particular, with, like I, I enjoy improvisational music and the R you do too. And the opportunity to create product in real time yeah. is literally like a moment in heaven for me. And, yeah. you know, I found that it not only the creation of music, um, but also the, the rigor of it, a lot of it has paralleled for me, what, to me, what happens in business. Uh, mm-hmm. Whether it's, you know, let's put a team together. Everybody's got to play their part, but I need you to be actively listening. So if somebody does something, you can move with them. Um, it's just like what happens when you build a team, a small, a small group, and we've got to be able to 
lean up, you know, lean into each other and lean off of each other and so on and so forth. Um, performance on stage where we got to execute here, but we have to be mindful of the, of the audience and the job is to delight the audience. Right. Same thing is true. Um, the practice that it takes to actually be able to improvise, like actually having to go through and do things that are regimented only be- because when you get on stage, you don't know what's going to happen. And whether on stage is in a studio or literally on stage, something happens and you've got to do something about it. Like, having a company and you put a product out and the market changes COVID hits. And now you've got to do something different, right? It's they're all the same principles. And so it's been, it's been so the moment that, that, that really clicked for me, which is probably in the late two thousands. Um, I was like, Oh my God, it's, it's all the same, man. Oh, that was such a powerful moment. You know, I just, I find that part so fascinating when I'm, I'm hearing you talk about um, all of that, because I can, I can identify, you know, how music really helps, um, you know, us in our everyday lives, you know, and how we're, you know, and, and like you said, the, the pandemic, uh, we had to be able to adjust, you know, musicians, even, I mean, can you imagine musicians that are doing, we're doing this full time through oh, yeah. COVID was extremely hard. They had to reinvent themselves. And right. I think the good ones did. This is no different than being an, an entrepreneur. But I'm sure that that there's there could be a study out there that talks about you know the difference in in music style. So we talk about improvisation, right? Which which yep. jazz a lot of it is, yeah. And it it gives you almost that brain skill to always think about how do I do this, you know, on the spur of the moment. You know, how can I think on my feet a little bit differently? Absolutely. No different than an entrepreneur sometimes has to do, right? Got to pivot. Oh, man, you came yeah. and you thought the gig was going to be a traditional jazz gig and they want to hear country. Yeah. All right, cool. Or it is a traditional jazz gig and some you, you decide to take a request from an audience member and they call out, um, they don't really care about us by Michael Jackson, which nobody ever plays live. Right. Can you pull it off? Yeah. I mean, it's, or... Or even if you don't know it, how are you able to handle it gracefully to still delight the customer? Um, yeah, but- I think that's the important one because, you know, for, for me, you know, I'm playing world music and sometimes I'll get somebody that requests American song. I don't know it. And so I, you know, I can't just come across and say, no, I don't, I don't do that because now you've upset an audience member. There's a way of handling it. Um, and if you can do a little humor too, I've noticed it, it always, uh, they get it, you know, it's soft, it softens it. And, and again, these are like real, you and I should work on a, on a paper like this, uh, where That's how music paper. sort of inner, you know, interweaves with, with yeah. how entrepreneurs can or, or should, should think and because I think you can give a step-by-step example between those that play music and those that, you know, are, are an entrepreneur. Jeff, we talk about this forever. I got one more for you. Yeah. Um, because, uh, we're here in Michigan and I think we're excited about Michigan in general. Um, Absolutely. certainly you and I are, are in the Detroit area. Uh, you know, I've, I'm a lifelong, uh, Michigan resident, love what goes on here. Um, I, you know, we, we know that there's challenges in the entrepreneurial pipeline. We know funding is, is what it is. And, you know, there's never enough money to fund, all of these, these great ideas, kind of as we close this out, you know, give me your thoughts on maybe where Michigan is headed. You know, Mm -hmm. here we're still a bit in a pandemic, not as 
bad, maybe yeah. some way might say than it was before. But you know, where do you see us going um, as a state when it when it comes to the development of of some new founders and startups yeah. in our in our community? Man, um, that's a it's a really it's a challenging question. Thank you for yeah. The, well, I think it's a challenging. I don't think there's a silver bullet, right? I mean, it's just, you know, I'm I'm curious of what your thoughts are on where you know where we're going. I think I think that that is the point is that there's not a silver bullet, right? We're yeah. no longer um, an auto like we're still an automotive state, but we're not necessarily an automotive economy. At least we at least we can't we can't just rest on being an automotive economy in order to survive in this next next gen world. But I think one of the biggest things that we can do so two. We call it at least two, maybe three. So one, um, it's always lean into lean into our, where our strengths are, right? We, um, you know, auto, automotive and mobility. Sure, we have a lot of strength and strength there. We're really smart, and so looking at what additional opportunities, we just kind of continue to walk down paths. What additional opportunities exist um, that are tangential to automotive and mobility? Um, but we also are really strong in life sciences. We have tons of natural resources. We've got water, and so we have these resources that by themselves create competitive advantage, whether it's knowledge, again, um, agriculture, um, the things that, are, that the people are here who are, are really good at, um, and just saying, where are the pro what problems exist around those resources? And we're just gonna call them resources. Automotive is a resource, uh, mobility as a resource. Like what problems exist in these areas that we can help solve that make the world a better place? Um, I should do this now. So. <laughs> One of the things I do with my kids, so I want my kids to be entrepreneurial, and this directly connects back to how we support founders. I'm, I am raising future founders right now, um, and I want them to know that entrepreneurship is about service. And so every morning we do an affirmation. At the end of, at the end of our like, kind of spirit-building affirmation, we, we say, how do you make money? Their, their, their answer is by helping people. The second question is, how do you make more money? The answer is by helping more people or helping people solve bigger problems. Can you make money without helping people? No. If you help people, are you guaranteed to make money? No. But what do we always have to do? We always have to help people. And so for them, they're being grounded in this idea of how am I helping people and not always looking for money, but also like they'll find ways to help people and say, I helped my friend do X, Y, and Z, but then also say, Hey dad, I want to start a business. I saw people needed this. They needed help with this. Can we do that? Yeah. That's and awesome. So as we think about how can we apply our resources and our skill sets to help more people, I think that's kind of, to me, a foundational piece of how we raise the next generation of founders. It's not just about, it's about the money. It is absolutely about the money sometimes. You know, as, a, as an investor, yes, it's about the money. Yes. <laughs> but we, the only, only way to get to the money is to go through helping people and you've got, and it's gotta be authentic. So I think one, leaning into our resources, two, helping, helping founders and future founders understand the service of what they do. And it's not just about the customer, it's also about helping their teams, about helping their investors, literally an, a lifestyle of, of service that get to companies that are sustainable and, and, and actually make money. So I think those, those, are, those are key things. And the other thing too, is we have to do a, and I, I know we're working, I've, I've been in, involved with enough organizations that I know we're working on it, we're getting better at it. Um, we have to be better about, if we're talking about at least on the venture side, yeah. understanding well, helping founders understand what it means to be investable which means ideas that can grow ideas right. like ideas that can grow and go um 
And every idea doesn't have to be venture backable. Right. Exactly. But if, you, if that's if that's the goal, understanding how to find markets that are big enough, how to allocate resources and apply resources to get to big enough opportunities. And then subsequently, you know, as we talked about earlier, how to sell those opportunities to teams, investors, and ultimately customers. I um, love I love that grow and go. I think that's perfect. You should probably trademark that before we feel <laughs> that somewhere. But hey, Jeff, this is probably a good spot for us to right. to call it quits today. But you know, um, I, I really love talking to you, and and uh, I think we're fortunate to have you in this community. And, and I, you know, you smiled through the whole thing. I know it's a podcast. <laughs> um, and we've been doing these things now for like a year and a half, but uh, I really enjoy talking to you. So thanks for talking to me today. Oh man. In- anytime. ID Ventures, the venture capital team of Invest Detroit supports early stage, high growth and high tech startups in Michigan with investment capital and strategic support. With a mix of funds backed by public, private, and philanthropic sources, ID Ventures is building an evergreen source of investment capital to help innovative companies scale and to strengthen the Michigan startup ecosystem for decades to come. Visit investdetroit.vc for more information. Thank you for tuning into another episode of Michigan VC Talk. This show focuses on guests that are investors, entrepreneurs, and other thoughtful leaders that are making a difference in the Michigan ecosystem. Produced by Michigan Venture Capital Association, a nonprofit trade organization designed to bring together venture capital industry participants in the state of Michigan and act as the voice of the Michigan entrepreneurial and investment community. For more information, visit us online at michiganvca.org.